Chazal tell us that when Hashem created the world, He prepared everything. He created the heavens and the earth, light and darkness. He created the laws that govern physicality. He created atoms, molecules, quarks. Everything was set, waiting for one last piece. And Chazal give us a mushal. They say if you want to understand creation, the following parable. Before a man brings his guest into his home, first he sets the table, he prepares the dishes, he cooks everything, he lays everything out. When everything is all set, only then does he invite his guest to enter his home. So too, say Chazal, that Hashem created everything, prepared it all, waiting for the guest. That guest was Adam, was man. Everything in creation was brought forth for man. Everything was conceived, planned, and put into position for this human being because the center of the universe, the reason for creation, was Adam. And interestingly enough, Rashi explains to us that despite the fact that everything was ready, there was one thing that was lacking. The Pasuk of Rashi says, Before there was any vegetation in the land, and before any grass grew, because Hashem did not bring rain, and man is not there to work the land. Explains Rashi on that Pasuk, that this wasn't by accident. Everything was prepared, everything was ready, but one thing remained suspended. Even though Hashem earlier on <coughs> created the grasses, created the trees, created the vegetation, they were put into a moment of suspended animation, they remain frozen in time until man came onto the planet. When man came, that's when the world began. And Rashi explains that that's what the Pesach is telling us, that man wasn't there to work the land, because explains Rashi that Hashem did not bring rain, because man wasn't there to work the land, and he wasn't there to recognize the good of rain, therefore Hashem didn't make it rain. Everything was ready, but it remained exactly where it was until man came. When man was created and he recognized that the world needed rain, he davened, he prayed, he asked Hashem for rain. Only then the rains began, and only then the entire cycle of existence really began. Everything remained suspended until Adam recognized that there was something lacking. Rain was lacking. Adam davened for rain. And once he davened, then the rain came, the vegetation began, the grasses began growing, the entire life cycle as we know it began. And this Rashi is actually quoting the Gemara Chulin, and the Gemara Chulin explains to us the reason for this is because Misava Kodesh Baruch Hu, the Tzilasan Shal Sadikim. Because Hashem desires, Hashem hungers, Hashem has an appetite for the Tzilas of Sadikim, for the prayers of Sadikim. And this Rashi is a bit difficult to understand. Because if we focus on why Hashem created the world, and why Hashem made man and put him there, we'll find this Rashi very perplexing. And let's begin with the following observation. For a human being to understand Hashem is impossible. Hashem is limitless, Hashem is boundless, Hashem is beyond any human comprehension, definition, understanding. Yet Hashem wants us to relate to Him as much as we're able to, 
And therefore Hashem acts with Midos, acts with character traits. The trait with which Hashem created all of existence is a Midah of Hatava, the trait of goodness. Hashem is a Metiv, Hashem is a giver, and all that was brought forth was created for one reason, to give. Hashem wanted a share of His goodness with man, and therefore Hashem created everything that my eye sees for one single purpose, to give. That is the midah with which Hashem created the world, and that is what we see manifested in this world. Everything here created for one reason, for good, for the benefit of mankind. Now, the reality is that we're blinded, and we are caught up in this world, and our lack of understanding, our lack of perspective doesn't allow us to see this, but that is why Hashem brought forth the world, and that's why everything in existence is here. Well, with that as a background, Let's try to understand what this Rashi is saying. Rashi is saying that Hashem left out one thing. He didn't create the rain. Why? Because Hashem wanted man to be there, see a world that's sort of suspended, not quite ready, recognize that something's lacking, and recognize that that lack is rain. Then man would daven, would ask Hashem, please, please bring rain. And when Hashem would bring rain, then the life cycle would begin. And why did Hashem do this? Because Hashem is misave, Hashem desires the tefillahs of the tzaddikim. Now, number one, a tzaddik is going to daven anyway. All that a tzaddik craves is a relationship with Hashem. <clears throat> all that a tzaddik desires is closeness to Hashem. Hashem is the source of all good. Hashem is the source of all perfection. All that the pure neshama, the pure soul, is going to desire is to be close to Hashem. So the tzaddik doesn't need the need. The tzaddik is going to have the relationship Anyway, but even more than that, this sounds utterly selfish. If Hashem is the giver, and Hashem created everything to give to man, this sounds like Hashem is saying, well, if I don't leave you without something, you're not going to miss it. You won't, you won't write me, you won't call, you won't love me anymore. I have to leave something missing so that you'll need me, so that you'll reach out for me. Hashem desires a feel of a tzaddik that's very nice, but it sounds utterly selfish. It sounds self-centered. It sounds like Hashem is saying, you may not need it, but I do. Number one, the tzaddik craves a relationship. The tzaddik would daven. The tzaddik would reach out to Hashem anyway. And number two, it sounds very difficult to understand that Hashem desires the tefillah as if it's for Hashem's benefit. And Hashem is doing this for His good if it could be and not for man. This Rashi is perplexing and rather, rather difficult to understand. And to understand this, we have to recognize that there are certain understandings that are profound, that are deep, and even though they may sound obvious, they're not. As Masul Sharm describes to us, the measure of all perfection is Hashem. There is nothing perfect in the world other than our Creator. And man was put into this world for one purpose— to perfect himself, the more perfect man is, the closer he is to Hashem, the more he's able to benefit from that proximity, even though the world we now live in is imperfect, and man cannot enjoy the true benefit. But when he finishes his job here, whatever level of perfection he reaches, he's on for eternity, and he's able to benefit from basking in the proximity, the closeness to Hashem, 
the more perfect Adam is, the more perfect man is, the closer he is to Hashem, and the more he can enjoy Hashem's presence for eternity. Obviously, the tzaddik, as much as any human being, has growth to accomplish, has things that he needs to change, and things that he needs to work on, and an additional closeness that's required. And on a very simple level, I think this Rashi is sharing with us something profound. As much as the tzaddik recognizes how beautiful of Kabi Hashem is, as much as the tzaddik desires a relationship, if Adam was created in a world that was perfect, if Hashem put man into this world and everything was complete, Adam could never reach his level of perfection. Why? Because he wouldn't have needed something. If he was put into a world where all of his needs were met, he would not have had to have reached out to such an extent. All of his needs were met. <clears throat> Everything was there. Granted, he would have desired the relationship. <clears throat> Granted, he would recognize Hashem. But he would have not been able to have that single catalyst to allow him to grow even more. <clears throat> What's that great catalyst? The need. Even a tzaddik needs needs. Even Odomarishan, as much as he understood Hashem, <clears throat> if Hashem had created him with everything there, he wouldn't have had this need and he never would have reached the same level of perfection. You see, when Adam came into the world, he saw a beautiful world, but something was lacking. And because that something was lacking, he had to reach out to Hashem and Davin. And as much as he recognized Hashem, that reaching out brought him to a higher level, <clears throat> brought him to a greater understanding, brought him to a greater recognition. And it's only because of that need that he grew, and only because of that reaching out to Hashem, that he was able to reach an even higher level. And this Rashi then is teaching us a profound concept. Because it's very rare that Chazal use the expression, Hashem desires. Nisava is a very strong Lashem. Taiva is an appetite, a, a hunger. Do you know why it is that Hashem desires the tefillah of the tzaddik? Because all that Hashem desires is the good of man. All that Hashem created the whole world for is the good of man. And there are few things in this creation that will bring a man to that level of perfection, like reaching out to Hashem with a need. And the reason why Hashem desires the tefillah of tzaddik, obviously is not for Hashem's benefit, but because this is the single thing that even a tzaddik will do that will bring him to the greatest heights. When the tzaddik finds himself without when a righteous man finds himself needing, he reaches out to Hashem and reaches a much higher level. And the reason why Hashem desires that is because that is the greatest good for man. Because via that mechanism, man reaches heights. Via those prayers, man reaches a much greater recognition and understanding. Hashem desires that because that is the ultimate good of man. And if we take from this Rashi nothing else, just that concept... That needs aren't negative, but needs are very much in our best interests. And that Hashem created man with many, many needs, specifically because man needs needs. And one of the brachas that we say is, Hashem, you created many, many creations and their lacks and their things missing from them. Everything in creation and surely every human being is lacking, is needy. And it's not because Hashem isn't very good at doing that, which Hashem does. Hashem could have created everything complete. <clears throat> Hashem could have created man with all of his needs met. And that would have been a terrible situation to put man in. Because it's only through the need 
only when man recognizes that he cannot do it on his own, that he reaches out to Hashem, and he calls out to his Creator, and only through those steps does man reach the height for which he was put into this world. And that ultimately is what Rashi is telling us, that Hashem created a perfect world and left one thing in abeyance, held it suspended, because as great as Adam was, as much as his recognitions were, he needed to have that need. Only when he saw that rain was lacking, then he reached out to Hashem, he reached even greater heights, and Hashem desires that because that's the ultimate perfection of the human, to recognize that he's dependent on Hashem. And again, if we took nothing from this Rashi other than that concept, it would be well worth focusing on. But I think there's a lot more for us to benefit from from this Rashi. And that's by focusing on one simple understanding. The male African elephant consumes approximately 350 pounds of vegetation every day. It will uproot trees, eat through, almost cut swath through the jungle. It will eat and eat and eat. It weighs some 14,000 pounds, but it must consume hundreds of pounds of vegetation a day. Many, many animals eat leaves, herbivores, whether it be the cows, the bison, the cows sit all day and eat the grasses. And the reality is that we live in a world that is engaged in a very complex food chain. Everything tied to the other, each animal dependent on another animal in the ecosystem, whether it be herbivores or carnivores, those who eat grass, and the animals that eat those animals, and then the animal decays, a very, very complex food chain. At the center of all of it is vegetation. The base of it all is the things that grow from the ground, the animals who eat them, the animals who eat them, and everything comes forth. The basis of all vegetation, obviously, is sun and rain. Now, you know that, and I know that. I recognize that there's something called winter. In the winter, you're going to see sticks in the ground, bare trees. And I also know that in the spring, they'll bud forth, and you'll have a world alive. And I recognize that there's a cycle to life. But here's the question. Adam Harishon, the first man, opened his eyes to see a world. He saw a world that was magnificent. He saw oceans and rivers, rivers, <clears throat> he saw birds, he saw animals, he saw the most complex, harmonious systems, he saw a complete world. The question is, how did Adam know that rain is lacking? Who told him? Who told him that there's a food chain? Who told him there's a life cycle? Who told him that if we don't have rain, there won't be vegetation, the African elephant is going to go hungry, the herbivores won't be able to eat, the carnivores won't be able to eat them? Who told Adam that the world needs, needs rain? And even more than that, who told Adam that there is something called rain? As an observation, 70% of the surface of our planet is covered by water. So you would assume that we have water, water everywhere. But the problem is that 97% of that water that covers the surface of our planet is contained in the seas. And that water is not drinkable. That water is salty. And that water cannot sustain growth. 2% of the remaining water 
is locked in the glaciers and the ice caps. Of all the water that covers the surface of this globe, only 1% is pure water. Only 1% can sustain life. Only 1% can allow vegetation to grow. That 1% is contained in the rivers and the lakes, and obviously all the vegetation depends on those waters. But here's the problem. The problem is that vegetation surrounding a river or a lake should grow. But how do you explain fields? How do you explain mountains? How do you explain huge, huge tracts of land that are going to grow vegetation when there's no water there? There is no lake in close proximity. There is no river passing through. How is it that you'll pass mountain range after mountain range and they'll be covered with trees and be covered with bushes, with grass? There's very, very little water in the lakes and rivers and they're very, very far removed from everything that grows. Well, it just so happens that water can exist in three states. Water can be a solid when it's ice. It can be a liquid when it's at more moderate temperatures. And when it becomes heated, it becomes a gas, a vapor, or steam. And because of that, we have a water cycle. One of the most complex systems in creation is the water cycle. The sun, some 91 or 93 million miles away, warms up the water in the oceans. And because of the heat, because of the energy that's generated, the waters begin shifting into steam. They begin evaporating. And the waters leave behind the impurities. The impurities are too heavy. The sediments, the salts, the minerals are too heavy to rise up. Only the pure water separates and it drifts upward. All day long, there's vast oceans, <clears throat> gallons and gallons, untold amount of gallons are evaporating into steam and <clears throat> forming into clouds. As the steam gets further up, it begins cooling. <clears throat> As it begins cooling, it begins condenses, and you could see a, an entire sky filled with clouds. The wind comes and <clears throat> blows those clouds to where they should be, and in the right place, in the right time, in the right manner, rain begins. And rain is a hugely complex process because there has to be the right atmospheric conditions. There have to be nuclei around which the water vapor condenses. But at a certain point, the water condenses so that it's too heavy for the cloud to hold it. And all of a sudden, it comes raining down. But if you understand rain and you focus on it, you should recognize that, A, it's a very complex process, hugely intricate and delicate, and, B, it should never sustain life on the planet. Chazal tell us that we ask for rain in Gvuros, in the part of Shemana Esrei, that speaks about the majesty, the might, the power of Hashem. Why? Because while we look up in the sky and see a nice little cloud and say, oh, it looks so light and easy, it's cotton candy, a single cloud contains thousands of pounds of water. And when a summer storm begins, over 125 million gallons of water can drop in 20 minutes. Rain is gvura because it comes pouring down in such power and demonstrates Hashem's might in such a magnificent way. And by all rights, it should drown mankind. Meaning, here is the question. 
if you've ever walked on a country road, <clears throat> it's a dirt road, and it begins raining, what you find very quickly is puddles and puddles and puddles. And the road becomes unmanageable. You can't walk anymore because it's either just muddy and soggy or just puddled. So here's the question. If a rainstorm is going to drop 125 million gallons in 20 minutes, why aren't all the fields, the mountains, all the areas filled with just huge puddles? Everything should be drowned. Every seed should not have a chance to take. It should be drowned in water. Every small bush should be drowned. And the reality is that rain should never accomplish that which it should do. The roots of a tree are deeply submerged. Every type of vegetation that grows beneath the ground has a root system. The root system can be anywhere from 2 inches to 50 feet, sometimes even deeper than that. And here's the problem. The rain that drops from the sky should hit the ground, puddle, create lakes, create streams. The roots that are down below should never get that water. And if you think about it, you'll recognize another part of this creation that's amazing and astonishing. If you walk in a grassy field in the summer, what's beneath your feet resembles a sponge. If you ever take a dry sponge and put it to your kitchen sink and you turn the tap on, the sponge absorbs the water, just soaks it up. Why does a sponge soak up the water? Because the sponge is actually a huge series of tunnels. Any sponge, whether naturally formed or made by man, has many, 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 many tunnels in it. In fact, the sponge is so light because the material really is very airy because it's filled with all of these very, very tiny tunnels. And the reason why a sponge is absorbent is because the water that drips on top of it enters the tunnels and fills it up. And for that reason, a sponge before you hold it under the water might be light, but once you hold it under the water for a while, it becomes very heavy because it becomes saturated with the water. The earth that you and I walk on is like a sponge because there's an entire army of earthworms, aphids, insects that constantly, all day, every day, eat through the earth. They tunnel through the ground. When an earthworm travels, it takes dirt into its mouth, excretes it the other way, and all day long it's tunneling. An entire army, entire colonies beyond comprehension are forming tunnels all day long. Charles Darwin was a naturalist, and he studied much of nature. An observation that he made, whether he's correct or not, is debatable, but one of his findings was that if you were to take the amount of earthworms and aphids growing under the ground, tunneling all day, they would equal the weight of the amount of sheep that could be grazed on that land. Meaning if you have an acre of land, two acres, ten acres, whatever amount of sheep that that land could possibly sustain in terms of keeping sheep fed, that weight would be equaled out by the amount of earthworms and aphids growing underneath the ground. And the reality is that the earth that we walk on is like a sponge because an entire army, entire colonies of different insects tunnel their way in. And the reason why the rain doesn't puddle is because when it hits the ground, it enters these micro-tunnels and just gently drips down, drips down, drips down, and the earth, like a sponge, 
absorbs the water, and that water will travel down two inches or two feet or 20 feet or 50 feet to an oak tree's root system, deeply submerge, and the earth becomes saturated deeply, deeply down because of this very complex system of earthworms, aphids, insects, creating all of these tunnels. Now here is the question. That's beautiful. That's astonishing. When you study the different states of water, and you ask, how could it be? Does man have wisdom to create a substance that when you subject it to more energy, it becomes one form, becomes vapor? And when you subject it to less energy, it hardens as rock like ice. And in the middle range over there, it's nice and liquid. Does man have the wisdom to create a sun to give off energy to cause the oceans to evaporate, that the water should become pure vapor, that it should become clouds, that the wind should take the clouds, that the condensation should form and then drop the rain where it's needed, when it's needed? Does man have the wisdom to create this entire army of earthworms that have their own needs, but because of their needs, tunnel the ground and make it like a sponge? When you study this, you should say the words, Marabu Masecha Hashem, it's astonishing. It's beyond our comprehension. But you and I know that because we read science textbooks. You and I know that because we study Chazal's appreciation of this world. But Adam opened his eyes and in the first moment of creation was expected to say, Oh my goodness, there's no rain. How did Adam know what rain is? How did he know that animals need vegetation? How did he know that vegetation needs water? How did he know that there's this water cycle, that there's this entire process? He was created, opened his eyes, and at that moment, or shortly thereafter, began recognizing that rain was lacking and davened for it, asked Hashem for it. The question is, how did Adam know that there is an entity called rain? How did he know that it was needed? How did Hashem expect him to know that? And in fact, how did he know it? And I believe when we focus on this question, <clears throat> we'll see a profound, profound chiddush. And I believe the first step in <clears throat> answering this is the following observation. The Medrash tells us <clears throat> that when Hashem created Adam, it wasn't just a simple act. Hashem does everything with tremendous calculations. And before Hashem brought man forth, <clears throat> Hashem said to the malachim, to the angels that he created before, shall we create man? Demonstrating huge amounts of humility, Hashem asked the Pamalya Shamala, the upper world, for permission. <clears throat> he asked them for advice, shall we create man? The malachim say to Hashem, what is this man? Matibo, what is his nature? What is this creation that you wish to bring forth? Says Hashem <clears throat> to the upper world, to the celestial beings, His wisdom is greater than yours. Eventually, Hashem got to show the Malachim the wisdom of man. After creating man, Hashem said to the Malachim, Give a name to all that I created. But give a name to all that I created doesn't mean simply give it a name. In our world, if I call this object a table, it has four legs and a piece of wood on top, that's a name by convention. There's no particular meaning to the word table other than the fact that it's convenient to give a title, to give a phrase, to refer to an object. This is a chair, this is a table, and that's a couch. There's no innate connection between the word 
and the object, but by convention, for convenience sake, we label things, we give it titles. When Hashem created the world, Hashem created the world with Lashon HaKodesh, with Hebrew letters, with the Hebrew words, and everything in creation is tied one to the other. What Hashem was saying to the Malachim was, give me one phrase that defines the essence of everything in creation. Give me one title that defines the essence of this creature and the essence of this animal. Tell me its nature and use one term that's not by convention, not by convenience, but that actually defines by its very nature what it is and is the correct title for this item. And as brilliant as the malachim are, as wise as the angels were, they were stumped. And then Hashem brings Adam and says, Give me the name. It says, Adam Zusus, Zuchamar, Zugamal. This is a horse, this is a camel. Each animal, Adam defined. But the Mepharshim and the Medjashamba explain that again, it wasn't just a definition. The essence of that animal, its nature, its inclinations, its desires, each animal has a nefesh abahami, has an animal soul to it, with different inclinations, <clears throat> different appetites, different natures. This is a camel. A camel is able to walk three weeks in the desert. A camel is able to store fat in its hump. A camel desires vegetation. A camel is comfortable in a dry area. This is a cow. A cow is a different nature. This is a tiger. A tiger is a carnivore. It's a hungry animal that hunts, that stalks its prey. With each term, Adam defined the essence of the animal and used the correct combination of letters, the word that actually defined the essence via which Hashem brought forth all of those animals. Because when Hashem created the world, it was with Hebrew words. Vayihi or means... Hashem said there shall be light. But it's not that Hashem created light and then gave it a term. If it could be Hashem said the words, said those letters, those letters contained within it the wisdom, the energy, the power to then bring forth the light. It was through the word or that Hashem created light. And it was through the words that Hashem created each animal in creation. And what Adam did was look into the essence of the animal and referred to the very term via which Hashem created it, brought it forth, because Adam's recognitions, Adam's wisdom, was well beyond anything in creation. And when the Malachim, when the angels saw that wisdom, they almost, if it could be, mistook Adam for Hashem. They saw his wisdom was so profound, so deeply rooted, that if it could be on some level, they thought man was Hashem. And if you'd like to understand this, I think there's a very simple mushal, a very simple parable that I think makes it clear. We live in a time where the wisdom seems, or at least knowledge, seems to abound. The technology revolution has brought so much information to our fingertips that it's actually stunning. If you open a Wikipedia, you'll see article after article after article about what seems like every facet of creation. And what it is, is a compilation. If you take thousands and thousands of men, women, and each of them specialize in one area, and each of them write articles about that area, and it's peer-reviewed, and it's corrected and brought forth, 
after a while, you have a body of knowledge that's vast, that's wide, that's astonishing. And today you look up Wikipedia, almost any issue, any part of this world, and you'll see detailed, clearly annotated articles, many of which are actually correct, many of which aren't. But the point is you'll see tremendous, tremendous wisdom. Now imagine for a minute the following. Imagine that technology evolved and you're able to plug in Wikipedia into a little cord, put that cord in your ear, and you were able to download the entire Wikipedia into your brain. Imagine that technology evolved and that vast sum of knowledge, that vast body of knowledge could be downloaded into your brain and instantly every single article in all its details were right there in front of you. Obviously, you would know a lot. However, man is not capable of such feats. That is well beyond technology's reach. But I'd like to share with you that was Adam Rishon. You see, when Hashem created Adam, man opened his eyes, but he wasn't a child. He might have been one day old, but he wasn't a baby crawling on the floor. And as man physically wasn't an infant, intellectually he wasn't an infant either. But he wasn't just a mature man. This was Yitzir Kampov Shilakarish Baruchu. Man was the pinnacle of creation, the handcraft of Hashem. Man had a brilliance, man had a wisdom that was beyond any human being today's comprehension. When he opened his eyes and he looked at a world, it wasn't tablaraska, it wasn't a blank slate. He looked at a world and instantly understood the relevance, the need, the purpose. He understood what was in front of him because he came fully loaded with not just a Wikipedia, a Wikipedia written by Hashem. Man opened his eyes with wisdom and saw a world and he understood. As man understood the nature of the chamar, the shar, the camel, the cow, man understood the nature of creation. And when man looked at a world, he saw a world that was vast, that was harmonious. He saw oceans and rivers. He saw a sun, the moon, the stars. He saw an entire world, a wild kingdom. And man recognized the nature and the needs of each of the beasts. And man recognized that vegetation was needed. And man understood that vegetation can only happen when there's rain. And rain can only happen if there's a water cycle. And a water cycle can only happen if there's condensation. And condensation can only happen if there's a wind and there are atmospheric conditions and there are aphids and earthworms to absorb the world. Everything was clear to Adam. His brilliance his understanding was astonishing. And therefore he recognized why rain is needed. But there's one more thing that Adam recognized that we don't. At the end of a long list of all of the creatures that Hashem asked Adam to name, then Hashem said, and me, what is my name? Says Adam to Hashem, the right way to refer to you is Ado Shem, because Ata Adon Hakol, you are the master of creation. You are the master of Secha. You are the creator, the maintainer, the one who orchestrates all the physicality. You shall be called master because you are the master of all creation. And with that expression, Adam demonstrated wisdom that was more profound than what he had shown earlier. 
because earlier he had defined physical beings and maybe their nefesh, habahami, their animal soul. He defined the nature of the camel, the nature and the desire of the cow. But with this last show of wisdom, he defined Hashem's relationship to this world, that Hashem is the creator, Hashem is the maintainer of physicality, and Hashem orchestrates all that happens in our world. Adam perceived that instantly, Adam deeply understood it, and in one phrase defined Hashem's relationship to the world as a master, and with that expression, Adam showed wisdom that was even greater than his earlier expression. And to share with you what that wisdom is, I'd like to make one very simple observation. We often wonder, what's it going to be like in Mashiach times? The Rambam tells us that physically, the world is going to be effectively the same. You'll still go to work, get a job, you'll still plant a seed in the ground, and it'll grow. Physically, Olam Kimin Haga Noheg, the world will act in the same way. But what's the change? <clears throat> the single change when Mashiach comes is, <clears throat> the entire world will be filled with knowledge of Hashem. Every human being will get it. Every human being will recognize Hashem right there. <clears throat> Every human being will recognize that clouds condense because Hashem orchestrates it. Every human being will see those clouds move because they see Hashem moving it. They'll recognize that rain falls in its time because Hashem is doing it. They'll see behind the scenes what we don't see now. And if you'd like a muscle, I think there's an important muscle to help clarify this. Imagine you're sitting at a play. And there's a scene, you're watching the scene, and the actor does this, the other actor does that, they say this, they say that. And the sun, eventually what happens is, that scene ends, the curtain comes down. You hear a little bit of moving behind the scenes, and then a minute later the curtain comes up, and you're looking at a very different scene. Scene one was in a house. You were looking at a fireplace. You're looking at a table. Scene two is very different. Scene two is set in a meadow. It has a background of grass. The, the table is gone. The cupboard is gone. Instead, there's a tree. Now, you know that someone moved those stage settings. When the curtain came down, you heard some rustling. And when the curtain comes up a minute later and the scene has changed, you're fully aware that stage hands were there moving the scenery, taking away the table, putting in the tree, putting in the backdrop. You didn't see them, but you're 100% aware of the fact that there were stage hands there moving around the scenery. That is the world that we live in. When we say the words, it's Ashkocha Pratis, it's Hashem's divine intervention. What that means is the circumstances are so strange. I went there and I happened to meet this guy, but it happened to be that he was only there because this delay happened to him and that delay happened to me. And it happens to be that because in a meeting this came out, it's obvious, it's clear that Hashem orchestrated these events. And I get it. And I say the words, it's Hashem, it's divine intervention, it's Ashkacha, but I don't see Hashem. I get it. I recognize that the stage hands were moving the scenery. I see somehow it's way, way too complex for it to be a coincidence. So I know that Hashem did this, but I didn't see Hashem moving the scenery. And that's the world we live in now. The world we live in, the best that comes to us is we recognize that somebody moved the scenery, 
<coughs> we recognize that the props moved around. We understand that it was Hashem <coughs> orchestrating the world, but we never see Hashem. When Mashiach comes, like the sun, in a blazing moment of clarity in midday, the world lights up from darkness to light. <coughs> every human being sees with absolute clarity that Hashem is present. Hashem is here, right here. And Hashem orchestrates every act in this world. <clears throat> Hashem is intimately involved in every facet of nature, every part of the world. But every human being gets it, not as in like, it has to be because the coincidences are too great. Every human being sees Hashem. It's as if the curtain doesn't come down and you see the stagehand move the parts of the scenery <clears throat> into place. When Mashiach comes, every human being will see Hashem actively involved in every part of creation. We don't, because that's the world of darkness we live in. But this Rashi is speaking about Adam Harishon, the first man before he sinned, and his level of understanding, his clarity of thought, was the equivalent of what we'll see in the time of Mashiach. Meaning Adam got it 100%. When he said the words, It's proper to call you Hashem Adon because you are the master of all creations. It was because Adam saw a world. And he didn't just know that Hashem created it. He saw that Hashem created it, maintains it, orchestrates it. He recognized the relationship between everything in physicality and Hashem, that without Hashem's constant infusion of energy, every particle of creation would cease to exist. But he didn't read about it. He didn't think about it. He knew it. It was 100% clear, like the sun in front of his eyes. He looked at the world with such wisdom, such understanding, and he recognized Hashem's relationship to everything, that nothing can exist without Hashem. And with that understanding, let us go back to this Rashi and ask now the much deeper question. If Adam Harishan had this wisdom, if he knew that rain was needed because without rain, vegetation can't grow, if he recognized the food cycle, if he recognized the complexity of this world, and he recognized that Hashem is at the center of everything, that Hashem is the master because without Hashem there's nothing in existence that remains, that Hashem is nature and nature is Hashem, that as the Ramban explains, nature are but the system via which Hashem continues to run the world. When you see a seed that's planted begin to sprout, Know that that is the way that Hashem is orchestrating this world. Hashem wrote the laws of nature and continues to run the world in that way. But what you're seeing is God. We don't see it, but Adam did. And if Adam saw this, why did he have to daven? Why did he have to have this need? He had to reach out to Hashem. He got it. He saw with absolute clarity that everything is dependent on Hashem. He recognized that Hashem is the creator, maintainer, orchestrator of all. And he recognized the glory of Hashem, the majesty of Hashem, and obviously, therefore, he wanted to be close to Hashem. Why would Hashem have to suspend the rain and hold it in abeyance until man asks? It sounds like everything there man knew, everything there Adam was created with, what was lacking. And now, with this question on a far more sophisticated level, I think we can glean from it an understanding that's far more relevant and far more important to us. And the Siddhul Shisharim, in Parakyutis, explains to us what tefillah is, what davening is. 
He says, imagine that you're standing in front of your friend. And you're talking to him. You're actually making a request. You ask something from your friend. Your friend may respond. He may not. He may say yes. He may say no. Says, that is prayer. You have to understand, he says, that when you're praying to Hashem, you're talking to Hashem right there. Not 13 billion light years up in heaven. Hashem, can you hear me way, way up there? You're not asking the malachim, the angels, to bring the prayers. Those are euphemisms. Those are expressions to help us understand. <clears throat> Explains the Hashem what's actually happening. He's just speaking to Hashem right here. Literally, <clears throat> as a man speaks to his friend, the friend is right there. The friend may respond or not. I'm speaking to Hashem right here in front of me, making my request, asking what I'm asking for. That's what Chazal means. Know in front of whom you stand. Now here's the question. <clears throat> We've all learned that. Mishnah. Know in front of whom you stand. We're all aware that tefillah is praying, talking to Hashem. So why is it that none of us really, really get it? Because if we really really got it, if I would ever recognize that I'm literally speaking to Hashem, first of all, I'd probably pass out. But second of all, could you imagine my requests? My, if I was standing in front of a wealthy man, if I was standing in front of a powerful man, there's so much that I could ask for. There are people who are sick. There are people who need help. There are people who knows who knows what I, I would ask and ask and ask and ask. Why is my dominant kind of, okay, I try, because I don't get it. <laughs> what do you mean I don't get it? I read the Mishnah. I read the Mishnah Sharm. I've been <clears throat> talking about this Mishnah Sharm for probably 30 years now. What's lacking? What's lacking is what Rabbi Sol Salanta describes as the greatest distance in creation, and that is the distance between the human mind and the human heart. Because we can know it intellectually, but feeling it emotionally is something that requires tremendous growth. I'm in this body that's very, very dark. My neshama, my intellect is pure, but it's put into this very, very heavy coat. And the many, many layers of this coat blocks me from feeling it, I can know it clearly and yet not at all get it. Intellectually, I understand it. Emotionally, I don't. And a tremendous amount, if not most of our work, is to emotionally feel that which we intellectually know. And I believe that's exactly the answer to Adam Rishon. Adam Rishon had a fully loaded Wikipedia written by God. <clears throat> all of the wisdom of creation and Adam recognized Hashem. But he still needed to ask Why? Because he didn't fully feel it emotionally. Only when he was lacking, only when he was without, only when he had to call out to Hashem, Hashem, please, I need. The world cannot exist. It can't go on. Hashem, I need. Only via that process did Adam really grow. Did he really reach out to Hashem? Did he really get it? And that is such a change in the human that Hashem is misava. Hashem desires it. Why? Because it's the greatest growth the greatest good that could come to man. That need is what propels him to a much, much different level. That need is what changes him. And there are very few things in creation that will allow him to reach those levels of understanding. The need is the greatest thing that Hashem gave to man. And for that reason, everything in creation was complete except for rain, so that man should reach out, so he should reach this additional level. And now I believe this Rashi is profound and extraordinarily relevant. Because you see, all of us go through a stage of 
Oh, if only, oh, if only my life were different. If only this, or if only that. Let me give you one example. My father-in-law worked for many years for the Philadelphia public school system. And he was already going, getting on in years, and there were debates back and forth between and the family, whether he retired this year, next year, my mother-in-law would say this, my father would say that. Back and forth, they were discussing. Finally, my wife gets a call from her mother. Tati sent in his papers, meaning he retired. And I said to myself, wait a minute. Where do I send my papers in? See, what my father-in-law did was sent in his papers and now could spend the rest of his life not having to work. He could learn. He could daven. He do whatever. Where do I send my papers into? <clears throat> Where do I send in those papers to retire? And most of us have this attitude: Oh, if only I didn't have to work for a living, it'd be great. I'd learn shas, and I'd volunteer. I'd do so many. Uh. Unfortunately, <clears throat> I have to work for a living. I'd like to share with you <clears throat> that it's not unfortunate, and it's not that Hashem doesn't have enough money. It's done for a very particular reason. That very particular reason is because when you have to work for a living and you have to pay bills and you recognize that the economy is kind of shaky and you're not sure if you're going to keep your job or you're not sure you're going to be able to make the mortgage, there's a very real need. <clears throat> and as much as you can grow in Shas and Poskim, as much as you can grow in Chesed, as much as you can grow in working on your Midos, having that need <clears throat> and because of that need, reaching out to Hashem and saying, Hashem, I cannot do it without you, could be an even greater growth for you and could be the single device that brings you to a higher level than maybe almost anything else that you'll do in creation. And this understanding that Hashem gives needs, I have needs and not because Hashem isn't good enough or Hashem's not good enough to me or because Nebuch, but that these needs are integral to my growth is an essential part of growing it's an essential part of understanding life. And I think there's one additional step. As most people in Chinuch, we support, my wife and I, we support ourselves not via my day job, so to speak, but we have a business. And again, as most people in Chinuch, that business is either the main or the sole source of Parnassah for my family. Interesting enough, the business that we own is not seasonal, and yet it is. If you'd ask a business analyst, if you'd ask anyone who knows the marketplace, our business isn't seasonal. We sell supplies to retail stores. Granted, the end of the year, September to December might be busier. Granted, the summer might be a little bit slower, but not in a huge way. And yet, incredibly, I have found over and over, year after year, that our business is extremely seasonal. If you've ever owned a business, you'll know that there are times when money is plentiful, times when it seems like it's great, making money hands over fist, it's perfect. And there are times when it's a little bit difficult. I have found amazingly, almost every year, when it comes close to Rosh Hashanah, all of a sudden, there's no money in the business. We could have had a great spring, a great summer, but for some strange reason, every time, almost every year, we come close to Rosh Hashanah and there's no money in the business. And I find myself in a, oh my goodness, we're in trouble. How am I going to pay the mortgage? How am I going to pay my employees? How, we're in trouble. And I'd like to share with you that this is one of the greatest chasadim that Hashem does. Because there's no comparison. You could learn Musr, you could work on these things, 
But when you actually need something, when you have a child that's sick, and you have bills to pay, and you don't know how you're going to pay it, and you turn to Hashem and you say, Hashem, I need, help me please, that is the greatest growth that a human being can possibly have. And I'd like to give you a guarantee. You ever hear the expression, nothing in life is guaranteed other than paying taxes and dying? Paying taxes isn't guaranteed, but I have one thing that I guarantee. I guarantee that throughout your life, as long as you're alive, you will have things for which you have to pray. First, it's going to be finding a shidduch, and then it's going to be shalom bayis. Then it's having a child, and it's going to be the health of that child. Then it's going to be finding the right school for that child, and it's going to be finding the right friends. And then the right high school, and on and on. Throughout every stage in life, I guarantee that you're going to have many, many things for which you have to pray. And I'd also like to share with you that if you want to see Hashem's involvement in your life, write those things down. Because they're not by accident. And it's not because Hashem isn't good enough. And not because Hashem isn't competent. But those situations have been handcrafted to create a need for you to have to reach out to Hashem. And those trials and tribulations that we say, oh, if only I didn't have how much better life would be, those are probably the greatest favors that Hashem ever did for you. What this Rashi is sharing with us is, as great as Adam was at that moment that he was created, this was before the sin and he was perfect. Wisdom, that's astonishing. Understanding, that's profound. Even with all of that, and even with his deep desire to be close to Hashem and perfect himself, he needed a need. It was only because he recognized something that was lacking, only then he was able to reach out to Hashem. And the reason why Hashem created the world imperfect was so that man could recognize that need, daven to Hashem, because only then man could reach his height, could reach that level of perfection. The needs weren't something bad for Adam, they were the greatest favor. And that understanding that you could intellectually know things, but it's only when you need them and reach out to Hashem that you fully get it, and you fully recognize Hashem's involvement, and that's when you really grow, is a deep understanding for life. And it's a deep understanding to seeing Hashem's involvement in your day-to-day world. And it's an exercise that begs being done. Write down all of your lacks. You come into shul, Rosh Hashanah, you come into shul any day. Write down the things that you need. And somehow, always seems, there's always something. There's always something going on, always something that I need. And recognize that Hashem is orchestrating that because that is your greatest good. What Adam Harishan had was wisdom, understanding, but he needed that need because only through that need could he actually reach the greatest levels of heights. And I want to close with one last thought. There's a young man who I know very well who began a business. He had very good financial backing and it was a very grand plan and he was exceeding everyone's expectation. He was creating an empire. And it was still new, still unproven, but things look great, things look phenomenal. And as it turns out, a few days before Yom Kippur, he found out that while it looked like they were doing very well, he actually lost $1 million in his first year of business. And to say that he was crushed would be an understatement. It was a grand plan, very talented, great financial backing, but in no time at all, his financial backers pulled away He found himself owing money he couldn't ever dream of paying. And his great plans, what looked like from the outside, a tremendous potential, what looked like a really thriving business, 
ended up sinking him into tremendous, tremendous personal debt. And he found this out a few days before Yom Kippur. Could you imagine what that Yom Kippur davening was for this person? Could you imagine walking into shul and saying, Hashem, I don't have. But it's not that I don't have. I owe money that I can't ever dream of paying. I don't have a way of paying for my kids. I don't have a way of paying for tuition. I don't have a way of supporting my wife. I don't have a way of paying my mortgage. The absolute desperation. And probably you'd imagine that it's a great test of bitachon. Can he still trust in Hashem when clearly things didn't work out? When he put in his best effort, he put in a huge effort, but against his will and beyond his understanding, things didn't work out. And I'd like to share with you, while that might be a test of bitachon, it might also be the greatest favor ever done to that human being. Because that Yom Kippur davening and that understanding might be something that forever remains with him. You see, at that moment in time when you're desperate, when you don't have and you can't pay the bills and you can't figure out how you're going to, you reach out to Hashem with an absolute clarity. You say the words, Hashem, you are the creator, maintainer. You are the one who orchestrates this world. I cannot do it. Upon you I depend. The very final words we say in the Ilah, after an entire day of davening, we sum it up in the one pinnacle. We say, Shema Yisrael. We say, Baruch Shem Kavod Ved. And then we say, Hashem Hu Elohim. Those words can be the greatest accomplishment of your year. When you say the words, Hashem Hu Elohim, God, you are the one who created and runs this world. You are the master. You are present and involved. That recognition can be the greatest accomplishment of your year. But the only way you come to that recognition is when you need, when you don't have. And the greatest favors that Hashem does to you might be your lacks and your needs. You have to understand it. You have to put it into the right perspective. May Hashem grant us the wisdom and understanding to put this and use it properly.